grab your Bibles, open them up to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, there's a hardback black Bible underneath the chair in front of you. You can grab that one. And if you're using that one, we're going to be on page 856. Last week, we were in the middle of Luke chapter 1. And as Luke continued the narrative, we were at the home of Zechariah and Elizabeth, uh, the, the parents of John the Baptist. And Mary had made the 70-mile trip south from Nazareth to the hill country outside Jerusalem to visit her relative Elizabeth. And as she comes into Zachariah and Elizabeth's home, she greets Elizabeth. Elizabeth hears it. And John the Baptist, filled with the Holy Spirit in the womb, praises God by leaping for joy. And then Elizabeth praises God. And then Mary praises God. And what we saw as we were looking at all of that is that the proper response to God's work in our lives is praise. We want to praise God in everything Because praise is the antidote to bitterness and selfishness and greed and pride and every other desire of our sinful nature. We should praise God in everything because it's one of the tools that God uses to lead us into holiness. That's how praise works in us. But as we continue in Luke today and we continue with this story that Luke is telling us, we're going to see that praise doesn't just work in us. There's an aspect of praise that works to advance the spread of the good news we have. And so let's continue in Luke chapter 1 today, right at verse 57 is where we're going to start, and we're going to finish the chapter. Hear the word of the Lord. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they said, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. And they said to her, none of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. For he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies." And from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers, and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us, that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his way to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel." Elsewhere in the Bible, we read that the grass withers and that the flower falls, but that the word of the Lord remains forever. And this is the word of the Lord. Can we pray? Father, as we look at 
this portion of Luke chapter 1. God, I, I ask that you would speak to us, that we would hear from you, that we would understand that our praise for your work in our lives, it, it's not just about us. That often you bless us, that you pour into us, that you work in our lives as a witness to your goodness, as a witness to what you're doing on a grander scale. And so our praise actually works to proclaim the gospel that you've given us. God, would you help us to hear from you as we open up your word? Would you help us to be encouraged to live a life where we're praising you in everything we do? God, I ask if there's somebody here today that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, that today would be the day where they would repent of their sin, where they would place their faith in you, and they would begin a new journey of living for you every single day. Holy Spirit, I can't save any souls, only you can, and so I ask that you would do that today. Be with us as we look to your word. It's in your beautiful name that we pray. Amen. Every generation can attest to the fact that there are moments in time that are just frozen in their memories. Moments where they heard news of an event, and because of that news, they will forever remember where they were and what was happening around them, what they were doing. These are the kind of events that tend to define a generation. Events like 9-11, or maybe the loss of the space shuttle Challenger in 1986, or the assassination of John F. Kennedy in 1964, or the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor in 1941, or the crash of the stock market in 1929. I could keep going, but you get the idea. There are these moments that happen, and it seems like they happen like every single generation. And when these moments unfold, they unfold so fast and so significantly that the news about them can't be suppressed, and they end up leaving an indelible mark on our lives. Every generation, it seems, experiences a moment like that. And as we're looking at the end of Luke chapter 1 this morning, I think that's what's happening here. This significant event is going to happen. Elizabeth, an old woman who is past the point of being able to have a child, she gives birth to a child. And this child's parents are obedient to the word of the Lord. They name this impossible son, John. And then Zechariah, who hasn't been able to speak, is going to burst forth in this song of praise and prophecy that is going to leave everyone in the community standing in awe and wonder at what God was up to. And as we see all of that unfold, what we're going to see is Luke teaching us that God works in our lives to advance his good news for everyone. And that's what we're going to see. That's the main idea that I want you to walk away with today as we're looking at the end of Luke chapter 1. God works in our lives to advance his good news for everyone. You see, when God works among us, he's not just working in our lives. His blessings, his work in us is meant to be a catalyst to advance his good news for others as well. And that's what we're seeing right here at the end of Luke chapter 1. God works in our lives to advance his good news for everyone. So take a look with me now. As, as Luke begins the account of John's birth, he tells us there in verse 57, now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth and she bore a son and her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her and they rejoiced with her. 
Now, two weeks ago, we saw the angel Gabriel come to Zechariah in the temple and promise that Elizabeth would have a son. And here we're seeing that promise fulfilled. Elizabeth gives birth to a son and everyone comes to celebrate. But what I want you to make note of is that Luke describes the whole event in the terms of the Lord's mercy. There in verse 58, he tells us her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her. God blessed Elizabeth personally. He extended his mercy to Elizabeth personally. I I think sometimes we lose track of that. We read this portion of Luke's gospel, and, and as we do, we're seeing the bigger picture. We're seeing the birth of this prophet who's going to come in the spirit and power of Elijah. We're seeing this birth of this prophet who's going to be clearing the way, making the path straight for Jesus. And we miss the fact that God worked personally in the life of this woman who had spent a lifetime faithfully serving Yahweh and yet was unable to have children. We have a personal God. And he works in our lives personally. God works in our lives personally. I want you to see that. Don't miss it. God showed his mercy to Elizabeth and Zechariah. He knew their hearts. He knew their hurts. He knew how they had struggled in this. And so he he shows them his mercy. He gave them the son that they had always longed for. Like you recognize he didn't have to. He, He could have brought his prophet in any other family. He didn't have to show mercy here, but he did. Because that's how God works. He works in our lives. He he worked in the life of Elizabeth. He worked in Zachariah's life. And and you need to recognize this. He's going to work in your life too. Personally. You have a personal God. As you're following him, he'll be at work in your life. and, And you should be on the lookout for that. Because as he works in your life and he blesses you and he does these things in your life, those those blessings, they're never meant to terminate on you. God blesses us and works in us. And at the same time, that's all part of his bigger work in salvation history. Now, sometimes when God blesses us, we're we're tempted to take the credit for it, though. We're tempted to think it's something that we've done for ourselves and and that that blessing that we've received, that that thing that's happened, we think that it's all about us and it's meant to terminate on us. And and as we read this narrative here, you can see that there was this temptation for Zechariah and Elizabeth as well. Take a look at verse 59. The Bible says, And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. So what we're seeing here is all of Elizabeth and Zachariah's family and close friends were urging them to name this new child after his father, Zachariah, bar Zachariah, Zachariah, the son of Zachariah. And what we should recognize is that while naming a child, a son after their father is very common for us, it was not common for them. It happened from time to time, but that was the exception, not the rule. So here it seems all of this couple's friends and relatives want to honor Zechariah for finally giving Elizabeth this son that she has longed for. They're observing this great event that's happened in their lives and and they're wanting to give Zechariah and Elizabeth the credit for what God had done. This is an attempt to give the glory and honor that was due to God to Zechariah. But they don't fall into the trap. As we keep reading in verse 60, we see they are obedient to the command that had come to them from the Lord. 
Take a look. The Bible says, but his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. And they said to her, none of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be. Apparently, like they, they thought he couldn't hear either. Like, no evidence of that. But, eh, sorry. They made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered. Elizabeth and Zachariah had received this command from the Lord via the angel to name their son John, and they're being obedient to that. Like first, the mom says, nope, his name is going to be John. And so what do the friends and relatives do? They go over to dad and they ask dad, thinking dad's going to overrule mom, but he's too smart to do that. So he says, no, give me a, a writing tablet. And that writing tablet would have been like a board with, with wax on it, right? And so he gets this writing tablet, and what does he write? He says, his name is is John. It's already been decided. It's already been done. His name is John. Zachariah and Elizabeth are presented with this opportunity to take credit for what God has done in their lives, but they don't. Instead, they're just obedient to what God had told them to do. They name their son John. And in doing that, they help us to see that this personal blessing was part of a bigger plan. God's mercy towards Zachariah and Elizabeth wasn't just for them. And, and we know that because of what Luke shows us as we keep moving forward. So they obediently named their son, John. And in that moment, two things happen. First, their obedience to the Lord's command gets everybody's attention. Look at how verse 63 ends right there. Luke tells us they all wondered everybody's seeing what's happening here. They see this miraculous event that, that's happened and they're asking, what's going on here? This is a big deal. God worked in the lives of Elizabeth and Zechariah, but he wasn't just working in their lives. He was grabbing the attention of everybody around them. And as Zechariah is obedient to the command he received from the Lord, we encounter the second thing that happened. He's able to talk again. Verse 64 says, and immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God. But as we come to this point in Luke's account, we, we need to stop for just a moment because the text uh, as it's laid out for us here isn't really in chronological order. Luke tells us that Zechariah spoke blessing God there in verse 64. And then in verses 65 and 66, he tells us how everybody around them responded. And when we come to verse 67 and, and we take it down to verse 79, we see what Zechariah actually spoke. So, so what I'd like to do for a moment is just jump down to verse 67. Because Zechariah is going to sing this song of praise and prophecy. And as he does, we're going to encounter an example of how sometimes our praise can proclaim the gospel. That's what we're going to see here. Take, take a look. Verse 67. The Bible says, And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, this is the fourth time now in, in just the first chapter of Luke's gospel that we're encountering the Holy Spirit at work in, in people's lives. And I told you last week that Luke is showing us all of this to help us see that this good news is for everyone. The Holy Spirit has been working in and through Mary and John in the womb and Elizabeth, and now he's filled Zachariah too. 
God is at work and moving in everyone here, which again is meant to help us see that this gospel that we're reading, this good news that we have, it's for everyone. It's for the simple and the wise. It's for the common citizen and the religious elite. It's for everyone. So Luke tells us there in verse 67 that his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. And then Luke is going to record this hymn of praise and prophecy that Zechariah sang. In the, in the Greek, it's one long run-on sentence. But in this long run-on sentence, we find four aspects of the gospel laid out for everyone that's hearing it to receive. And as we look at this, they're, they're worth noting. So first, as Zechariah praises God, I'd like you to see that he proclaims that salvation is available. Look at verses 68 and 69. He says, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. Zechariah, his praise begins by acknowledging that God has made salvation available. He tells us that God has visited and redeemed his people. You see, our God is not some far off, uninterested, detached deity. He's personally involved as he comes to his people to redeem and ransom them, to pay the price for them and bring them back into fully reconciled relationship with himself. That's what Zechariah is praising God for right there. And the salvation that stirs Zechariah's praise is coming in the form of a mighty Messiah. You see, the the horn was a symbol. He says that he's raised a horn of salvation, right? Uh, The horn was a symbol for strength for Zechariah. Like the equivalent for us today, we'd be thinking about like an Abrams tank, right? Or maybe you think about a nuclear-powered aircraft carrier. It's a symbol of military strength. And what what Zechariah is saying here is that God has raised up this horn of salvation, this mighty salvation for his people. And then as he ties this to the Davidic dynasty, When he says that it's coming from the house of David, that makes it very clear that he's talking about a salvation that's coming from the Messiah that they had been waiting for. And this is key to understanding the reason why Zechariah is praising God in the first place. You, You can't miss this. This praise is not about his son, John. This praise is not because he's finally had the son he's been longing for. This praise is about the coming of the Messiah. The angel Gabriel gave Zechariah this glimpse of the bigger picture of God at work in salvation history while he was in the temple. And he knows that his son's arrival is paving the way for this Messiah's arrival. And that's where this praise is simultaneously prophecy. Because Zechariah is saying that God himself is stepping in to redeem his people. God himself will visit his people. He'll be among his people in order to redeem and ransom, to pay the price for them in order that they might be reconciled to God. So Zechariah is praising God because God has made salvation available. So this praise proclaims salvation is available. But as he continues to praise God, I'd like you to see that he also proclaims that God is faithful. Take a look, beginning at verse 70. Zechariah praises God because He has made salvation available as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies 
and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us. Zacharias praising God because he's seen the fulfillment of God's promises. God is faithful. He keeps his promises. This is so important for us to remember. I feel like I tell you guys this every single week, but it's just so important for us. God is faithful. He keeps his promises. We can trust him. We can rely on him. His promises are sure. As followers of Jesus, we have to remember that because it's going to empower us. It's going to help us to live for him. And here, Zechariah is praising God and telling everyone around him, I've seen it with my own eyes. I'm praising God because he keeps his promises. He told us through the prophets that he would send his Messiah. And now look, it's happening all around us. He's going to send the Savior that's going to rescue us from all of our enemies, who's going to set us free. Look how he's done it. That's what this praise is proclaiming. It's proclaiming he promised to show mercy. He promised to remember the covenant that he made with us. And look, it's been accomplished. Zachariah's praise is proclaiming that God is faithful. He's faithful to keep his promises. He's faithful to bring about the salvation where we're set free to serve him. And that's the third aspect of Zachariah's praise of the gospel that Zachariah's praise proclaims. It proclaims that we're set free to live for him. Take a look at verses 74 and 75. In his faithfulness, God has made salvation available so that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear. In holiness and righteousness before him all our days. In the gospel, we find that we are set free to serve him. God's saving work accomplishes what we cannot accomplish on our own. It defeats our greatest enemy, sin. It sets us free to serve the Lord without fear of punishment, without fear of God's wrath. It sets us free to walk with him and serve him and live for him in holiness and righteousness every single day. This is why the the praise of God should, should be central in our lives. Because we're proclaiming that we've been set free, free to live for him, free to serve him, free to make much of his name. We're free. The gospel proclaims that when we repent of our sin, when we place our faith and trust in him, sin no longer has claim on us. Our enemy has been defeated. And this is so powerful for us. Because I think sometimes we lose track of this. Sometimes we lose track of the fact that in Christ, we've been set free. We still allow the enemy to come at us. We still allow past sin, sin that God has forgiven. We allow that past sin to hold us back from walking in the freedom that Christ has given us. But in Christ, we've been set free. Jesus said himself in John 8, 36, if the son sets you free, you are free indeed. And that means when the accuser comes at you and says, look at you. Look at all the ways you failed God. Look at all the ways you have sinned against God. You have rebelled against God. You can't serve him. You can't follow him. You're not worthy. When the accuser comes at you and says those things to you, you're able to turn back to him and say, no, in Christ, I've been set free. 
My sin has been forgiven. I'm able to walk with him and serve him and live for him every single day. He doesn't remember that anymore. I've been made free. This is so important for us. It's such a powerful reminder that we need every day in Christ, we are set free to live for him. You don't have to walk in fear. You don't have to walk around weighed down by the thousands of ways that you have failed God, that you have sinned and messed up in the past because he's forgiven that sin if you've repented of it. And that means you're free to live for him. If we can just take hold of that, if we can make that personal, it will change your life. Zacharias prays here, proclaims that we are set free to live for him. But as we come to the final four verses of this song of praise and prophecy, we we see Zechariah turn to his newborn son and speak a word of prophecy that reminds us that in the gospel, we have hope. We have hope. He says, in you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his way, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. The the mission of Zachariah's son, John, is to prepare the way for the Lord, to point people to salvation, to point people to the forgiveness of their sins, Forgiveness that is available through the tender mercies of our God. Forgiveness that when it's received, it spreads like a sunrise coming up over a broken, sinful, dark world. John's mission is going to be to prepare the way for the Messiah, for Jesus, who is going to bring salvation to the world. His mission is to usher the gospel message in. And as Zechariah praises God and speaks this word of prophecy over his son, the prophecy that's proclaiming the fulfillment of God's promises from previous generations of prophets, he's proclaiming that we have hope because salvation is here. Zechariah is singing this song of praise and prophecy. But now I want you to zoom back out and remember where he did this. Remember the setting that we found at the beginning of our text today. We've we've been looking up close at this hymn that Luke recorded for us. But now as we back away, we remember that he's doing this in front of this big crowd of his friends and relatives who've come to celebrate John's birth. And as we see that, we can begin to recognize that as he's praising God, as he's praising with this praise that proclaims the gospel, proclaiming that salvation is available, that God is faithful, that we're set free to live for him, that we have hope. As he's doing all of that, what we're seeing is that our praise can proclaim the gospel. Which is why as followers of Jesus, who've been commissioned to go and make disciples, it's what we end each service with, right? We end each service reciting Matthew 28, 18 through 20, this command to go and share this good news that we have. That's why as followers of Jesus, it's so important for us to publicly praise God. 
Yes, when we praise God, it works in us as an antidote for all of the sinful desires that would lead us away from Christ. But at the same time, when we praise God publicly, when we give him the credit for the ways that he has blessed us, for the ways that he has worked in our lives, what that does is that helps to point out the good news that we've received to other people around us. And we can help them to discover the salvation that we've found. We can help them to know God's steadfast faithfulness. We can enable them to see the freedom and joy that is available in Christ. We can give them the hope that we have found in Christ. In a very real way, when we praise God, we can proclaim the gospel too. And so we praise him. In every aspect of our lives, we give him honor. We give him glory. We do it in a way that others can see us doing it. It can be as simple as just when when God blesses you, just telling your neighbor, and God really blessed me in this. It can be as simple as being honest and saying, I was struggling and hurting here, and I just went to God, and, and he helped me. But our praise, giving him credit for what he's doing in our lives can help share the gospel with others. But as we return to the text, I want you to see the result of what happened. Because there is a result here. I want you to see how God worked in Zechariah and Elizabeth's lives to advance his good news for everyone. So now what we're going to do is we're going to jump back up to verse 65. Take a look, because in, in verse 67 through 79... Zechariah sings this this hymn of praise that's summarized in verse 64 by by Luke telling us he spoke blessing God. Those four words there are are summarizing verses 67 to 79, but but now we look at verses 65 and 66, and, and Luke tells us how the people around him responded. Take a look. The Bible says, and fear came on all their neighbors. Like they see all of this. They they hear all of this. Luke tells us that fear came upon them. But this isn't terror. It's it's more like awe. Like, like, have you ever been to the ocean? Not the Gulf of Mexico, the ocean. Like the real, like the Pacific Ocean or the Atlantic Ocean. Have you been to the ocean and and stood there at the shore and, and looked out at the vastness of the water? And as you're looking out at the vastness of the water, you can see the waves crashing ashore and you can feel it in your body, the the, the thunder of those waves as it's beating the shore. And in that moment, as you're looking out on the ocean, you just feel tiny. You just kind of stand in awe of what God is doing. That's fear. That's what's happening It's awe and wonder and a little bit of trepidation at at the same time. So so Luke tells us that fear came on all their neighbors and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea and all who heard them laid them up in their hearts saying, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with them. As everybody sees this couple who is way beyond any hope of having a child give birth to a newborn son. As all these people hear Zachariah, who for the last nine months and change hasn't been able to talk, as they hear him start blessing and praising God in this moment, hearing the gospel, they're filled with amazement and wonder and awe as God works in the lives of this family. 
And as everybody has witnessed to all of this, God uses it to advance his good news. God uses it as an opportunity to proclaim what he's doing. And and the result is that the message spreads. It it just keeps going. These these people see it and and they're just in amazement. They talk about it with their friends and their neighbors. The, The message goes from just their neighbors and their friends who had gathered to see the birth of the son. And next thing you know, it's being talked about through all the hill country of Judea. Like it's spreading like wildfire. You see that here. The message spreads. Zechariah and Elizabeth, they're just obeying the Lord. They just do what he's told them to do, and God does the rest. And what we ought to recognize is that it's the same thing with us. As we live out our faith every single day, we, we simply obey the Lord and then watch him work. Because what we're seeing here as we look at the end of Luke chapter 1 is that God works in our lives to advance his good news for everyone. And as we see that, we have to get to the so what. If that statement is true, what do we do with that? We live like it's true. That's what we do. We live recognizing that God works in our lives personally. Like the blessings you receive aren't because you earned them. Because God has shown his mercy to you. And those can be little tiny things like, like y'all know me. Like, like I'm a nerd. I raise goats. Like I prayed for a goat this week. Like not going to (laughs) lie. That's a blessing from God. Like the little kid was fine. Like I thought I was, it's neither. God works in our lives. And so we praise him for that. We bless him for that. We give him the credit. We live like that statement is true. But at the same time, we, we recognize that it's he works in our lives personally. He's also working in others. So we give him the, the credit and the praise. Because we know that our praise can proclaim the gospel. As we praise God, it, it points others to the faithfulness of our God. It points others to the salvation we found in him. It points others to the hope we have in him. We can praise God and proclaim the gospel all at the same time. What the end of Luke chapter 1 is teaching us is that God works among us, not so that his gifts can terminate on us, but so that they can advance the gospel to a world that needs it. God works in our lives to advance his good news for everyone, to reach our family and our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, our classmates, our community, our nation. He does it so that we can share the gospel with people who need to hear it. God works in our lives to advance his good news for everyone. So let's give him the credit. Let's praise him. Let's live like we know that statement is true, because it is. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word and this encouragement that we find in this. That you have worked in our lives in in ways not to make much of us, but to advance the good news that we found in you. And and so God, as we think about that, and as we go out of here today, I, I ask that you would help us to live that out. 
that we would live to make much of your name. That in the big ways you bless us, we would praise you, but even more so in the little ways. That we would give you the credit. And that in in praising you and in blessing your name and in publicly sharing the ways that you have worked in us, it would open up the door for the gospel to go out. Father, I ask that you would protect us from ever thinking that your gifts are meant to terminate on us. Help us to see that in everything we have been blessed to be a blessing. You loved us so that we can love others. You give to us so that we can give to others. You empower us to be your hands and feet with the end goal always being to make much of your name that more and more people would come to to worship you, to make much of your name, to live for you, that more people would have their sin forgiven and their lives reconciled to their creator. And so, Father, I ask that you would help us to do that in everything. Help us to live more like Jesus every single day. Today, tomorrow, throughout the week, the month, and the year. We thank you for your word, Lord Jesus. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen.